0: Welcome to Scandal Water, where the tea is hot and the conversation lively.
1: Your hosts, Candy and Ashley, will discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale.
0: Oh, it's that time of day. Tune in and hear what the ladies say. It's time to bend your ear when the silver screen appears. Stories about. And
1: everything in between.
0: So come on and join the fun. The curtain opens in three, two, one.
1: Happy Halloween, Ashley. Ooh, happy Halloween, Candy. <laughs> you know what's really funny is that we are actually recording this on August 23rd, looking at bar. one of the biggest
0: heat wave weeks that we've had. I know. But I wore a sweater. You, you did, did. Just... thematic set the mood yes
1: i like it wonder what the weather will be on october 31st i I hope it's a really lovely fall spooky day for Mm. everybody foggy foggy yes that would be good and we have a great topic for you today which ashley suggested and she suggested it for a reason that corresponds directly to halloween but we're not going to tell you that part yet okay We'll hold that. We will say we're going to be talking about Harry Houdini. I know. My yeah. mom is going to be
0: so excited. <laughs> is, she loves Harry Houdini. She? Yes. Yes, very much.
1: So beyond the Halloween connection, mm-hmm. what do you know or like about Harry Houdini yourself?
0: I don't know that much about him personally, other than okay. what my mom has told me. I think, it's, I think his line of work was fascinating mm-hmm. and terrifying. And well, I could never, yeah. ever do what he did. But uh, learning about him through your episode on Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and we also talked about his sidekick Rose McEnberg so we heard a lot about him through her but I would like to learn more about him as a person but as a side note do you realize how many holidays and important events have fallen on Tuesdays in 2023 we had tax day Valentine's Day the 4th of July <laughs> Halloween it's been a pretty I good love year it. Yeah, that's great yeah yeah.
1: you know I'm glad you brought up Rose McEnberg because I thought the same thing uh-huh. we had actually delved into Harry Houdini quite a bit during that mm-hmm. episode number 23 mm-hmm. it was Called Rose Mackenberg the first female Ghostbuster. Yeah. Loved that episode, yes, yes, yes. and I really did love the things that we shared about Harry in that. So I would highly recommend. I'm not. I'm trying not. Some things will get duplicated a little bit, mm-hmm. but for the most part, I avoided some of the things that we had already shared in that previous episode. That's good. So I'm going to recommend that you guys go back to episode 23, listen to that because it's a really nice compliment to what we're going to share a today. Piece. It is. It's a nice companion piece. But Harry Houdini. I don't know if people comprehend just how incredibly famous yeah, I know. and acclaimed he was. Yeah. This man was so big that there was a time, according to the Library of Congress website, it was actually, I know the year, it was 1920. Funk and Wagnall's new dictionary added him into the dictionary. Houdini, it became a phrase. Well, they made it into a verb. I'm going to hope I say this correctly. Who denies? Oh. It's basically... Houdini with a Z-E on the end, and it means, quote, to release or extricate oneself from confinement, bonds, or the like, as by wriggling out. And Houdini was very proud of this, of course, and on his letterhead, he would proclaim the fact that he was now in the dictionary as a verb. That's pretty awesome. That is pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. But he was huge. And as Ashley said, we're going to delve into basically his whole life story, and Mm. we're going to get back to that Halloween connection, which is very fascinating if you don't already know it. Right. Okay. So Harry Houdini was actually born as Eric Weiss in 1874 in Budapest. But his family moved to the U.S. in 1878 when he was, of course, around four. Mm -hmm. And they were a Jewish family. His father was a rabbi for the Zion Reform Jewish Congregation when they moved to Appleton, Wisconsin. And they stayed there in Wisconsin for several years until they moved to New York City when Harry was around, I think he was around 13. He was a young teen. But from a very young age, Harry was interested in performance and the trapeze yes. arts in fact according to a pbs Newshour hour article he was only nine when he and some neighbor friends tried to set up their own little five cent circus oh. and harry wore red woolen stockings and he called himself eric The Prince of the Air.
0: Oh, that's pretty clever. Yeah. I like that. He knew he
1: was a showman from a young age. So over the years, Harry took odd jobs here and there trying to help support his family because his dad, by the way, did die when Harry was young. Mm -hmm. I don't remember the exact age, but Mm -hmm. he passed away when Harry was still fairly young. By 1891, when Harry was around 17, he was working at a necktie company when he and another worker there decided that they wanted to try their hand at performing a magic show. Both of these fellas had been in. Inspired by a book they had read, this autobiography of this French magician named Jean Eugene Robert Udin. It's actually spelled H O U D I N, but the Ah. H is silent.
0: This sounds like where he got his stage
1: name then you 100% Aha. this guy was considered to be the father of modern magic and both of you know Harry and his friend were so inspired by him that they decided not only that they were going to do this act but that they were going to call themselves the brothers Houdini. Ah, they were going to pronounce the H. Mm -hmm, They were. And Harry actually believed incorrectly. My understanding is that if you put an I on the end of the word, it means like. So they were basically trying to say we are like this very famous Mm. magician. And that was how they were trying to draw some attention to their act. Now, at some point later, I don't know what year it was. Harry, he became Harry because as Eric, a lot of people called him Aerie as a nickname. Oh, so
0: Aerie Houdini
1: is what it would... So at some point he just changed it to Harry Houdini. Oh, I don't know when that happened, but he was, added
0: a he added an H to uh, both, to of, both them. of them.
1: Exactly. <laughs> but funny. I thought that was fascinating. That I was is. like, how did he become Harry Houdini? There you go. That's exactly how it happened. The Library of Congress website said that Harry found Udon so inspirational. He absolutely loved this man. And what was then interesting was that years later in 1908, Houdini would actually publish The Unmasking of Robert Uden which was this highly critical book where he ripped apart his former hero absolutely just tore his skills said that he stole magic tricks from other people why would he do that I don't know but I guess over the years as he became more famous himself he decided that his hero wasn't quite as
0: admirable as he thought well that's sad I know but I thought I would mention it maybe he met him and he was mean to him no No, I I don't think they ever
1: I don't think they ever crossed paths Hmm. I think honestly one one of the authors who mentioned this just made an inference that that maybe by that point, Harry had become a little full of himself oh. and his ego had gotten a little mm-hmm. big. And so I think, in a way, it might have been look, I'm so much better now mm-hmm. than this guy was who mm-hmm. has been so revered. Mm-hmm. You know, he was considered the father of modern magic, but now look at me, you know, really. Mm-hmm. And again, this was just a commentary from this person who was writing this article. This is just an opinion from that person. But they said some of the things that Harry criticized Robert Uden for, he was actually doing himself. Oh, a little projection, (laughs) a little bit of projection. Okay. So, Mm -hmm. all right. But let's move back into the timeline. After a few years of trying this magic act together, Harry's friend quit. And for a short time, Harry's younger brother, Theo, who everybody called Dash, he took over. So now it really is the brothers, right? The brothers, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) And they traveled, they would perform wherever they could find an audience, maybe dime museums, fairs, wherever, vaudeville shows. They were just looking for any type of audience. Mm -hmm. Well, in 1894, Harry met his future wife, Bess. Bess. Mm -hmm. It was so funny to me. As I was researching him, he really was just... He was just something. He was a quirky fella, I think. <laughs> um, because I saw an article that shared that in her book, Houdini and His Life, that was published a few years after Harry's death, she told a version how, of how the two of them met uh-huh. that everybody believes is total fiction.
0: That she's, that she's fictionalizing yep, The version
1: it? she told was, I don't even remember all the details, but it was something about accidentally spilling something on her dress uh-huh. and this whole story. And everybody's like, no, that's not how it happened. And then Harry at some point told his version when he was interviewed for an article that appeared in the San Francisco Call on Sunday September 1st of 1907 and his version was different and what everybody actually believes to be the truth is the story told by Dash which first appeared in the 1959 biography Houdini The Man Who Walked Through Walls written by William Lindsay Gresham in Dash's version yeah Bess was working as a fellow performer in Coney Island she was with the Floral sisters that was her act Uh and I believe she was singing when Dash and Harry were performing as the brothers Houdini. Dash says that he actually went out with Bess first but then he made the mistake of introducing her Uh to his brother (laughs) and the next thing you know the two of them whirlwind romance. Everybody agrees that they basically were married I think within like a month what? Yes. Harry was 20. She was 18. At another time, somebody said she was 16. Like, they, nobody could agree. Well, here's what I think. I think that they knew... That a good story uh, sold and that uh, people got attracted to mm-hmm, a good story mm-hmm. and they would sometimes just, just make up it, a good story. Yes, just embellish or say whatever they thought would be most captivating. I gotcha. But they do think that Dash's version is the truth because they found some evidence in two newspaper articles from the eighteen ninety-four Coney Island Clipper, which mention Harry and Bessie Raymond, which was her stage name. People tend to agree that Dash's version is the one. Well, and also with.
0: Dash has nothing to gain from it because he's like I went out with her first and then I lost her so there's no benefit <laughs> to Dash in this story <laughs> yes yes
1: Bess's full name was Wilhelmina Beatrice Rauner and all the sources agree again that their relationship was just intense and it mm-hmm. was a whirlwind they were married on June 22nd 1894 and once they were married Bess became Harry's assistant <gasps> and their act became known simply as the Houdini did he fire Dash Dash my understanding is didn't deep dive this but he went on to have his own successful career as a magician. He called himself, I'm trying to think if he went by Theo as his first name, he called himself Hardeen. And one of the authors said it's because it sounded like Houdini Mm. and Udin. (laughs) He's like the discount Houdini.
0: (laughs) Well, honestly,
1: he got a lot of mileage out of being connected to his brother, especially once his brother became very famous. So yes, he did continue on and he did, I think, just fine. Okay, good. Yeah, as we discussed, when we were doing our Rose Mackenberg episode the Houdini's had trouble making it big and making ends meet at first they continued to perform anywhere they could vaudeville shows the museums they even traveled with a circus for a time and something that we did mention in the Rose Mackenberg episode was because they were so desperate to make some money there was a time that they even scammed people themselves Mm -hmm. by claiming to be fortune tellers or sightseers I think again listen for more detail in that episode but they would go into a place in advance look at grave sites find out information about the town and then when people would come in and ask them to tell their fortune or to you know make they would some mention predictions, the stuff they'd res- yes, researched yes mm-hmm. yes exactly so and that's something they both later regretted very much when they became vocal about anti-spiritualism and, right. and the people who were scamming so we're going to come back to that later but what started to get this couple some positive attention were harry's acts that involved escape such as his famous metamorphosis trick. Now this involved both of them but Harry of course he was always billed as the magician. Mm -hmm. She was always the assistant. Right. Even though this woman was great. I mean from all accounts she was a really wonderful performer. She was a good magician too. Ah. Yeah. She knew how to compliment him. Okay. She knew how to do make his acts and his tricks more flashy and more effective. Gotcha. Yeah. So this metamorphosis trick went like this. Harry would fasten his hands he would get his hands fastened behind his back and and then he would be placed inside a large bag which was knotted closed then that would be placed inside a large box which was locked and strapped closed i can't and then I the box can't. would be inside a cabinet i can't do this candy i can't i can't even can you imagine being in the audience you can see where it would be so suspenseful oh, yes. yeah but then Bess would draw the curtain closed and clap three times. And at the third clap, Houdini would be the one to draw open the curtain and you would see she's gone. And when he would get the box open, she's in it, she would be inside the bag with the knots and the seals still kind of how do they a- do this? apparently unbroken. And her hands would be secured in the same way as her husband. How do they do did they ever say how they did this stuff? I'm not gonna get all the details right, but okay. I actually did read an article that said he would have it so that every, Thing. He was so good with the tricks and uh-huh. the deception. Uh-huh. He would have it so that he would already be out of the bag in the box before she even fully got the you know half got that that curtain closed uh-huh the claps were actually coming from him <gasps> because he would already be moving into place to try to take her place she's already getting into the box and while he's undoing the box that's where she's making sure that she's like pulling things up and getting the the bag closed over uh-huh. her head and she's slipping her hands into those supposedly really tight yeah hand, whatever they're called when really it was just slipping it in there so that it, it was that's all appearance amazing. it was that's illusion amazing. it really was illusion
0: that's amazing
1: yeah well the audience loved that trick
0: i would love it i es- would be
1: terrified again one author commented that there were some other magicians who'd done something mm-hmm. similar but they used a woman and that made their mm-hmm. trick a little flashier mm-hmm. plus his showmanship just mm-hmm. the way they presented it audiences really took to this and they really like the idea of escapes From locked things, the trunks, the handcuffs, all of that. So Harry's keying into this, right? He's
0: reading the room really well. (laughs) (laughs) He, he,
1: He was so smart. Yeah. He really was. So at some point in those early years of their marriage, Harry's feeding into this. There was an advertisement at some point that said, this is from him, that he had, quote, escaped out of more handcuffs, manacles, and leg shackles than any other human being living. Decades later, in his obituary that was published in the New York Times, they told of an experience that they said changed the course of Harry's life. And what happened, supposedly, was one night in Coffeeville, Kansas, the local sheriff baited Harry with some handcuffs, bellowing to the audience, quote, If I put these on, you'll never get loose. Well, Harry took the challenge. Oh, no. And he comes out without the shackles and beat the challenge, and that they said they think is what really set him on this whole course of, of escaping stuff, of escaping mm-hmm. and doing challenges and using mm-hmm. prisons and things. Because here's what he started to do: he would add things. He would, I'm going to not just do one set of handcuffs; I'll do multiple handcuffs. And he started to call himself the Handcuff King. Then he would add chains, shackles, straitjackets, jail cells. Sometimes he had combinations of all of them, and. Because Because people would say, well, you're hiding a key somewhere. So he started going to police stations and he would do the tricks there where he would say, okay, you shackle me. I'm going to be completely nude. What? Oh, naked naked so now the women weren't allowed to be around yeah but they have pictures i'll I'll have it in my show notes he would strategically because he was the master master of publicity and sensationalism oh my gosh so he would he would strip naked they had his clothes he would say search me (gasps) they would search him very thoroughly. oh my gosh yes and then he would be manacled and then he would escape this started to get him so much attention like it was a
0: thing that is crazy
1: yes I know. Can you imagine? He loved it. Just a little side note. I saw this in a couple different places where he was really proud. He was so fit. He uh-huh. was really proud of his physique. And so he, he didn't seem to mind at all doing these naked things. Oh like he, he thought he loved the attention. And boy, did he start getting I attention. I bet. Yeah. So he's now making a huge name for himself. And in 1900, he made his first tour, to you know, his first European tour. Okay, wait, wait,
0: wait, 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 wait. I got to go back to this. How was he able to do it if he was naked? How did he get out of this?
1: So I will come back to this later. But one of the things that was said, it was said outright by the magician Teller in an interview yeah, yeah. talking Teller, about Teller. Harry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He said Harry was an escape artist. He really wasn't a magician. He was an illusionist and he was an escape artist. And he was not averse to sometimes doing whatever it took. Uh-huh. In fact, he says, I'll find the quote later, but he says sometimes if it took bribery, if it took collusion, he might do that sometimes. Other sources said, now this wouldn't work in this case, but like they would say he knew where to hide things Uh where they wouldn't be found and he could then use them. So for example, like they talk specifically about being able to maybe hide a key in his hair, uh, you know, tape it to his skin Mm -hmm. underneath his very thick hair. Well, that's not going to work in this case, but Mm -hmm. did he find some place where he could put it around his hand or his wrist where they weren't able to detect it. I don't know. Interesting. But this man knew the tricks. Yes. Oh, okay. We'll
0: we'll come back to that. Okay, now say whatever you were going to say a second ago because I was not even paying attention (laughs) because I was like, how did he get out of it naked? Okay. So in
1: 1900, Mm -hmm. he took his first European tour and he just continued to up his game. He did these highly, highly publicized escapes from Scotland Yard and all these other very famous prisons. He's getting a lot of mileage out of this. Mm -hmm in 1902. He had himself locked into cell number two of the Washington D.C. federal prison which was the same cell that was used to house, oh I hope I say this last name correctly Charles Gouteau, the man who assassinated President James Garfield. Mm. Again, sensational. Mm -hmm. People are showing up in droves. Now I don't know if it's to this point but I saw at one time one of his later escapes they estimated something like 100,000 people showed up. I'm sure it's not at this point but crowds and crowds yeah. are starting to come so by 1908 this is where he had graduated to more and more daring escapes now he's doing things out of airtight vessels filled with water as he's you know completely tied oh, that and change. so scary yeah i have pictures of him it's in our show notes hanging maybe from a skyscraper or off the side of a building you know and he's everybody's watching him suspended above their heads while he's escaping mm-hmm. hanging upside down from mm-hmm. a straitjacket or whatever mm-hmm. there was a picture of him being thrown from a bridge into an icy river being handcuffed inside this trunk type thing Mm -hmm. I mean every single time he got out he gets out he gets out and as I said the crowds are just growing one of the photos that I will show is in Vancouver where you can see you can see the people huddled underneath them and they said that it was something like 10,000 people they estimated because it took him something like 15 minutes during the course of his trick they're continuing to come or and some people have to leave so like they think a total of about 10,000 were there at some point yeah yeah it's crazy so I saw a quote from an article on the history.com website that I thought provided a nice little insight here's what they said Houdini's heart-pounding getaways usually involved a healthy dose of trickery and sleight of hand Mm -hmm. but they were also fraught with genuine risk Well, yeah going back to your point yes yes there was trickery but there was also risk in 1915 he nearly suffocated during a Stunt in which he was shackled and buried under six feet of dirt no but again they did involve tricks it was a smithsonian article that i found that had so many quotes from teller in mm-hmm, it and mm-hmm. i just now came across it here's something that he shared that i think helps to illustrate the point we were just making okay. so teller tells of this time that there was an auction um this collector was auctioning off a lot of houdini memorabilia uh-huh. and artifacts that he had collected and so teller goes he wants to get something so he said quote I got a big black wooden cross, which I thought wouldn't go for much at auction. I bought the thing thinking this was a good souvenir. I think he'd had a chance to go in and buy something prior to the actual auction itself. okay, Okay. Okay. Now, he says, quote, after I bought it, this man who was involved with it, came up and said, be careful you don't have kids around this thing. I said, why not? He said, you don't want them sticking their fingers in here. It has holes where you lash a person to it and they try to escape. What I didn't realize is that it is an elaborate mechanism with a simple movement of your foot you could sever all the ropes simultaneously oh my goodness so I can't visualize exactly what it looks Uh like but I get the gist of it here looks like a wooden cross who's going to suspect anything wrong with a wooden cross but somehow he's able to use it to cut ropes cut the ropes and free himself so that's the type of sleight of hand that he could come up with which brings us to the next point that i wanted to talk about harry had so many things to him that i did not know about okay and i think we should talk about that after this
0: break did you know dear listener that there was a way to perform your very own scandal water magic trick how i hear you ask This might be the last day of October, but we are already planning our episodes for 2024 and abracadabra, a listener request you submit just might magically appear on our future episodes list. In fact, an upcoming November episode was inspired by a listener request. Which one? Well, that mystery won't remain unsolved long. Keep listening to Scandal Water and send your suggestions to scandalwaterpodcast at gmail.com. Like Harry and Bess, we think you plus us makes a pretty good team. So the two things that
1: I think I knew about Harry coming into this episode was what we had discussed last time, Mm -hmm. you know, the fact that he really had that crusade against spiritualism Mm -hmm. and also his reputation as this amazing escape artist. Right. Well, I ran across this quote from this Vancouver-based writer and magic historian named John Palat who had researched and written about Houdini and he made the comment, Houdini was not just a magician, not just an escape artist, but he was perhaps the world's first superhero and people really couldn't get enough of him. And I thought that was interesting. First of all, the the idea of him being a super superhero to well, people. Well yeah.
0: Just think about it. It would be like a superhero. Mm-hmm. The way he was able to do like a real life Superman, he could get out of all these mm-hmm. all of these situations. Right in front of your eyes. Mm-hmm. And this is early nineteen hundreds. We see Chris
1: Angel or mm-hmm. David Copperfield doing illusions today. Well it's And we're a little more fairly, com- Yeah, it's fairly common. Yeah. We, and we're thinking how did he do it? This was much newer. Much they probably more did innovative. think it was
0: really like magic.
1: Yeah, yeah. Or, or if nothing else, it was just like how in the world the mystery of it. How, 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 mm-hmm. how. I came across another quote that struck me from that same Smithsonian article that I've already referenced, and it said, "Harry Houdini is most often remembered as an escape artist and a magician. He was also an actor, a pioneering aviator, an amateur historian, and a businessman. Within each of these roles, he was an innovator and sometimes an inventor." Mm. Now that struck me. I was like, okay, yes. And that last part is fascinating because he goes on to explain that he invented so many things in the context of trying to create his illusions and Uh his escapes that he started to patent them because he invented them and then realized if he patented them, then his secrets were out.
0: Oh, so
1: let me just kind of go through this thinking about, for example, that same black cross gadget that we've just described. Yeah. He had to create technology like that. He yeah. created devices like that. Yeah. In order to make his escapes. And he started to patent some things. So for example, in the records, as I was doing this, I came across, I have a picture of in the show notes where he actually did follow through and he has this patent for a special diving suit that he had created that was designed to allow whoever was in it to escape quickly mm-hmm. from this kind of underwater trick. Mm-hmm. Actually patented that. He also actually patented a toy Houdini that escapes from a straitjacket. Oh, that's cute. I know, right? But there were some patents that he filed and he never ended up using the technology. Okay. And then there were some that he abandoned. Kenneth Silverman wrote a book about Houdini and in his book he shared that in 1900, Houdini filed for a British patent on the Handcuffed Act that he was performing at the time. And that application was listed as abandoned. And what Silverman and some other people have proposed is that he just decided I can't patent some of these things because if I do everybody will know my secrets and oh. you can't give away your secrets you can't give away well, your yeah. tricks so sometimes he was so smart that he would find ways around it so I thought this was clever so I'm giving you this example again from the Smithsonian article quote one of his best known escapes is his Chinese water torture cell Houdini had his ankles locked into a frame from which he was dangled upside down Over a tank of water. He was lowered headfirst into the water and locked in place. Mm -mm. To prevent anyone from copying the act, Silverman tells, Kenneth Silverman in his book, Silverman tells of how Houdini gave a single performance of the trick as a one act play in England before an audience of one. This allowed him to file for a copyright on the act in August of 1911, which legally prevented imitators without having to explain how the trick worked.
0: Wow. Isn't he smart? Uh, oh I know. My gosh.
1: I was like, that's crazy. One way that he was this inventor and that he was this. Really smart man outside of just doing his illusions was in his business sense. I think that was an example of his business sense. Mm -hmm. Something else they pointed out, also related to business sense, he was the master of promotion. They said, in a time before influencers, before the internet, if you ever had somebody who knew how to draw a crowd and get publicity, it was this guy. Him and P.T. Barnum, I tell you. I really, I thought of him several times. I would dare say I think Houdini was the greatest showman. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it was crazy. He was also an author. I did not research, but just for fun I googled Houdini as an author mm-hmm. and 19 books popped up how did he have time I don't know <laughs> this man was all over it uh, I guess there was no television so you a- know. and this was this was what he lived and breathed yeah this is yeah. what he did yeah when flight was becoming a huge thing thanks to the Wright brothers mm-hmm. Houdini became interested in flight he always wanted the new things mm-hmm. once everybody else kind of latched onto something he was done with it okay mm-hmm. he became interested and around 1909 he bought a Vyosin biplane. In Europe for $5,000, equipped with bicycle wheels and a rear mounted propeller. Oh gosh. And he also took out what he claimed to be the world's first life insurance policy for an airplane accident. Very and, smart. Right. <laughs> and then during a tour down under in Australia in March of 1910, he made three successful flights near Melbourne, each of them only just a couple minutes long. Yeah. And the Aerial League of Australia certified him as doing the country's first powered and controlled flight so he took he likes being the first of stuff now what the sad part is they came back later and a lot of people thought that there was actually a fella named colin defries who had beat him to that Uh and so he may have actually lost that record but in 2010 both of those guys houdini and defries were both honored with a series of stamps commemorating the centennial of powered flight in australia that's super cool right i had no idea Mm -hmm. i had no idea he'd Mm -hmm. done something like that and he got into film he acted in some silent films and became so interested in in it that they said his really big major work was in 1918 the master mystery was the film project he did some other silent films I and wonder then, if they're on YouTube we'll have to look I, I think they are Ah, I, I saw little pieces and he even owned his own movie company however according to history.com his films didn't do so well and he lost a lot of his own money so mm-hmm. he shut that down he also took some criticism people were saying that his acting was kind of stilted I'm sure he didn't like that he's so, a stage actor he, he's yeah. not a film yeah. actor
0: he's a stage he's a big person He he really, he really was.
1: So he let that go. And then it was in the early 1920s when Harry started his very famous crusade against spiritualists, Mm -hmm. in particular psychics and mediums who were scamming the public because Mm -hmm. that was his thing. He really wanted to believe, and we talked about this in the Rose Mackenberg episode. He really wanted to get in contact with some people he'd lost, particularly his mother, mother, who he adored. So he wanted it to be real, but he knew firsthand as a magician, as an illusionist, he saw how they were defrauding and and stealing from the public and it just infuriated him Mm. so he set out on his crusade against that again we talk about this in our previous episode there was a huge very public feud with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle who was one of his best friends up until this point right yeah it was sad It, it turned very ugly and he even had his little secret service that went undercover and would spy on spiritualists so that Harry could then come out and publicly expose them or even publish a book that told all of their tricks. I wow, mean, that's it dangerous. was a crusade. Yeah, it's
0: a crusade and it's a dangerous crusade because you're taking this the money out of these people's you pockets. Absolutely
1: are. You're you're hitting them at the belief level uh-huh. and at the pocketbook level. That's going to make Both. you a lot of enemies. Oh, 100%. We said this before, but just 6 months before his death, he testified before a congressional subcommittee in 1926 on a bill that would ban the practice of fortune telling in the District of Columbia. He was about as vocal Mm -hmm. and public and ardent in Mm -hmm. his quest as Mm -hmm. you could be. Mm -hmm. Before we go into his death, there were just a couple of facets of Harry's life that took me by surprise, so I'm just going to kind of quickly pull them out. You know, so much of what I saw really was what I would consider aligning with that superhero, superhero mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, the, that label. But there were a few things that kind of went against that. And to be fair, I'm going to go ahead and briefly mention them. One, we've already said people did say he had a he had a really big ego, yeah, really big. So you know, okay, again we've already mentioned this as well he wasn't always on the up and up in terms of his his escapes his tricks sometimes yep sometimes he would do some things that people might consider underhanded or Mm -hmm. sneaky to make his tricks work Mm -hmm. okay just acknowledging that and then this is the one that really got me I had no idea about this Harry is rumored to have had an affair with the widow of Jack London really yes Charmaine I think is how you would pronounce it c-h-a-r-m-i-a-n huh. but according to a couple different sources now i'm gonna say they never said definitively it was never like we are 100 yeah. sure they kept saying things like thought to have had an affair rumored affair mm-hmm. but here's what happened jack and charmaine london first met houdini back in 1915 when they were introduced to harry and bess after a performance at the orpheum and the two couples hit it off so well that they actually did a lot of things together for the Mm -hmm. next three days and they made plans they were going to get together again but they were so busy it kind of fell off their radars and Jack ended up dying about a year later from kidney disease but reportedly Harry and Charmaine stayed in touch and many many people believe that sometime in 1918 Houdini and Charmaine started a romantic relationship now the author of this PBS NewsHour article made his editorial comment he said this may have been the only time Houdini strayed from his marriage vows but this author believes it to have happened okay and here's where the evidence comes from so actually I'm going to ask you to read this little excerpt
0: most of the evidence of their affair convincingly reconstructed by Houdini biographer Kenneth Silverman comes from brief entries in Charmaine's diaries they saw each other over several weeks in early 1918 while Charmaine was living in New York where Houdini was starring in the patriotic World War I extravaganza, Cheer Up. Charmaine wrote that after they saw each other a few times, Houdini made a, quote, declaration that rather shakes me up. They became intimate a short time later. She wrote that one visit by Houdini had, quote, stirred me to the deep, and that he apparently felt the same, declaring, quote, I'm mad about you, and I give all of myself to you. Throughout, she refers to him alternately as magic, her magic man or magic lover as intense as it apparently was their attachment did not last long Silverman writes whatever his motives in the Amour the moralistic Houdini seemed to have cringed at what he was doing he wrote to friends of having a hard time with my private affairs and seemed to have backed out of later dates with Charmaine they would exchange occasional calls and letters for the rest of his life but apparently never resumed the affair upon hearing of his death in 1926 Charmaine wrote in her diary stirred with regret I scan his lovely profile picture with a magnifying glass sad over my magic lover
1: so that was something that i had never heard before neither but i I thought it was interesting i thought i would go ahead and share that Mm -hmm. so this brings us though to talk about his death
0: yeah this is the other thing that most people i would assume if they know something about houdini they would know about his Mm -hmm. death
1: yeah this or at
0: least what they propose was his death
1: i agree i think this is a pretty famous Mm -hmm. incident Mm -hmm. yeah well on October 11th of 1926 something went wrong while Harry was performing his famous trick called the Chinese water torture cell in Albany New York and he kind of hobbled his way through the rest of the show but he was later found to have fractured his left ankle Mm. against doctor's orders he continued on his tour traveled to Montreal where he gave a lecture at the McGill University and according to the PBS NewsHour article what he was lecturing about was his work exposing fake mediums Ah, and spiritualists, which is interesting. Well, a few days later, on October 22nd, he invited some of the McGill students to visit him in his dressing room after his matinee show at the Princess Theatre in Montreal. Now, one of the students who was there was this man named Sam Smilovitz, who was nicknamed Smiley, so I'm just going to call him Smiley. Okay. He actually had gotten permission to draw Houdini. He later gives some testimony that is recorded, and I saw some of his documented testimony about his day there but apparently the way I I read it he basically is in the corner kind of drawing Houdini Mm -hmm. yes sketching through the course of the day as people are coming and going so he's in the room in the dressing room and for quite a bit of this time I'm sure it's because his ankles still sore Houdini is reclining for a big chunk of this time so as different people are coming and going one of those people was a student named Jay Gordon Whitehead and according to Sam and, and there was other people in the room who also gave some testimony later but but I think it was at least two people that talked about Jay Gordon kind of chit chatting with Harry for a while, and at one point asked him what he believed about biblical stories and mm-hmm. this type of thing. And then he asked him, "Is it true you can resist hard punches in your stomach?" Because again, Harry was very proud of his physique and right. and how it helped him with his magic and his escapes. So I believe he'd kind of bragged about he could you know he could withstand he, a punch. Yes, he yeah. Harry nodded and acknowledged that it was true. And and it sounded as though the guy even said. Can I test it out? And Harry kind of nodded. But according to Smiley, Whitehead just very abruptly delivered, quote, four or five terribly forcible, deliberate, well-directed blows, end quote, to Harry's stomach. Mm. And everyone agreed it was as though Harry had not had time to prepare himself. He had not had time to tighten his muscles or to brace himself. Now, another person who gave testimony and somebody else in the room said that it was more like two hard punches. And that Harry kind of stopped Jay Gordon Whitehead before he, you know, Not as he was firmer, coming. Further, I would yeah. say, yeah, right. Either way, people agreed there were some punches, and that Harry seemed to act as though it hurt. Yeah, and that it was unexpected to him. Yeah. That same evening, Harry began to complain of discomfort and stomach cramps. Although he went on to perform that show and more shows, and the pain continued to increase. So Gosh. by the next evening, as Harry traveled on a night train more than fifteen hours to his next perform in Detroit, he's suffering. I can't,
0: well, I can't imagine. I I had the same thing happen to me. Well, not, I'm not going to say it before you do. So keep going.
1: Well, by the time Harry got to the Garrick Theater in Detroit, not only was he suffering from severe abdominal pain, but his temperature was also 104 degrees Fahrenheit. So a doctor suspected appendicitis Mm -hmm. and told Harry to go to a hospital. But Harry refused, reportedly saying, quote, I'll do this show if it's my last, And he did make it through the show, but it was a huge struggle. And one report said that he kind of collapsed right afterwards, Mm -hmm. but that was just one report. I didn't see it corroborated. But his pain was so great that Bess demanded he's going to go to the hospital, Mm -hmm. you know, that night. And so he did go to the nearby Grace Hospital that evening. And on October 24th, he underwent an emergency operation to remove his appendix. Which had already ruptured.
0: And that's what I had happened to me. My appendix ruptured when I was about 11. And I remember the extraordinary amount of pain oh, that wow. I was in. And mine ruptured and it was not removed for, I don't remember how many days, but I ended up being in the hospital for like nine days. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Because it, it, it at the point it ruptured, there was so much pain that I couldn't even stand up. Wow. So recalling that and thinking about him performing and going on, I couldn't even stand up straight. Of course, I'm a little kid and I, I was wuss but I mean he he's shackled he's he's, he's shackled. holding his breath he's I, being suspended upside that, down that to or, me is yeah. just I know a hint of the amount of pain that he was in and I cannot fathom how he was able to do that wow yeah mine That's... mine had just burst and it was by the time they got to it it had already started to gangrene in my insides
1: mm. well okay so there are some parallels here yeah. because again this is something I think I actually saw across more sources they believe it had ruptured several days earlier mm-hmm. it was not like mm-hmm. it had happened just then and it. It had caused severe peritonitis, which is this very severe and difficult treat infection of the abdominal cavity, which is similar, I think, to what you're saying. Right. Yeah, it's kind of like sepsis. After a second operation on October 28th, They tried this new anti, you know, streptococcal serum. He's still in, actually, the wording here from the article was he succumbed to overwhelming sepsis. And he died on October 31st, Halloween of 1926 at the age of 52. His last words were, I'm tired of fighting. Oh,
0: poor baby. Well,
1: he was laid to rest in Queens on November 4th of 1926, but people Have speculated and wondered about the mystery of his death ever since, because the official cause at the time of his death was listed as peritonitis caused by a ruptured appendix. And at the time, the magician's doctors firmly believed that this illness, this occurrence, whatever happened to him, was the result of Jay Gordon Whitehead giving him those sharp punches during that encounter they had in Montreal. Mm -hmm. However, Mm -hmm. since the this time different even a a medical journal has looked into this and what they say is such cases of quote traumatic appendicitis are extraordinarily rare. Mm -hmm. One study found only a couple dozen instances have occurred like in 20 years.
0: Yeah I can't imagine somebody hitting me so hard it busts my appendix. What my mom remembers happening is that I actually had a case of strep throat Mm. that went into my appendix somehow which is why when I get strep throat now she gets she gets nervous. I, I get very nervous yeah. she gets very nervous it's like my personal kryptonite for me the reason why i wasn't caught so soon as i was on antibiotics so they couldn't figure out what oh. was wrong with me and that's why it took so long to discover it mm-hmm. um but anyway this, hearing that and thinking like how in the world did this guy rupture your appendix just by hitting you in the, mm-hmm. in the stomach so go on with your
1: no no that's I, I think that's a good a good insight because the doctors in 1926 they just didn't know better mm-hmm. and so that's what they called it and houdini's life insurance company even had to pay bess a a double indemnity for accidental death because uh, of the ruling made by these doctors at the yeah, time yeah. but people really now believe that he already had the appendicitis like these punches in the stomach probably just exas- exacerbated, exacerbated it. Mm-hmm. in a condition that was already existing or maybe even made him put off getting himself checked out because he's going like oh I'm in terrible pain but it's probably because I got punched.
0: Right right and well, you said streptococcal earlier and that would be a form of strep so I wonder if he he did have maybe he was sick sore throat or something and he mm-hmm. did have strep and it did similarly do that i don't know yeah well but okay
1: <laughs> beyond that In their 2006 biography called The Secret Life of Houdini, authors William Kalush and Larry Sloman put out this idea, their proposal, that Harry Houdini's death may have been a carefully planned assassination by members of the spiritualist community. That was
0: my next guess.
1: Here's what they write. If one were to suspect Houdini a victim of foul play, then the section of organized crime that was composed of fraudulent spirit mediums must be considered likely suspects. They go on to argue that spiritualists had a history of poisoning their enemies, mm-hmm. and they say no autopsy was ever performed on Houdini, and, quote, if someone were hell-bent on poisoning Houdini, it wouldn't have been very difficult. Now, a different author, Don Bell, who wrote the 2005 book, The Man Who Killed Houdini, his theory is that J. Gordon Whitehead may have been in league with the spiritualists.
0: Yeah, yeah. because who in the world goes up? to a man and punches him so hard, either two to four times like, oh, I heard this, and then without giving him a chance to brace himself, he could have agreed to be the um, the patsy or whatnot. Mm.
1: Yeah, some people said the fact that he asked about Houdini's thoughts about Bible stories uh-huh. was suspicious. Where do you stand on and, sp- y-
0: and he had just given testimony six months earlier? Mm-hmm. That's a lot of enemies, because like you said, you're hitting them in their pocketbooks and at their belief systems. Yeah,
1: well and this is something we haven't said yet because of, Harry crusade and his testifying in that hearing he'd had a lot of death threats I bet a lot of death threats made against him so whether Jay Gordon was there to try to hurt him or to beat him up this guy's theory is that somehow Jay Gordon Whitehead might have been involved now other people just again say no it was just it was just sad timing it Mm -hmm. was just it was just tragic Mm -hmm. but it's kind of a mystery that still Mm -hmm. lingers to this Mm -hmm. day and that brings us to our Halloween connection. So do you want to share with them why you suggested that we do this on Halloween? What was... Because he passed away on Halloween. And also the pact that he made with Bess. Oh, right, right, right. Yes. Because Houdini really did hope there was an afterlife and really did hope that there was a way that spirits could communicate Mm -hmm. with loved ones after Mm -hmm. they were gone, yet was very suspicious
0: of all the scams and charlatans out there. He said, we'll prove it. Here, here we'll we'll go. We're going to make an agreement and we will prove it or disprove it once and for all. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So before his death, he and Bess had made a pact that the first one of them to die would try to contact the survivor from the beyond. Now, in our Rose Mackenberg episode, we talked about the fact that he actually also gave a secret code to some of his friends Mm -hmm. so that they could try to prove it too. Rose was one of them and Mm -hmm. she never heard from him. But I'm going to focus in on Harry and Bess. Bess right now. According to a Library of Congress blog that was published in 2020, quote, if contact was not made within 10 years, the pact would be broken and the notion of communication with the dead refuted. Mm-hmm. Houdini promised best that his spirit would deliver a message in code and open a pair of locked silver handcuffs. Their secret code word was Rosebell, followed by the phrase answer tell pray answer look tell answer answer tell which was a shorthand used between the two of them when they had been on stage together in their code it spelled believe oh. i was a little i, I like that but i was a little confused so i wikipedia helped me out a little uh-huh. bit I Looked on wikipedia and it said that bess's wedding band actually bore the inscription rosabelle because it was the name of the song that she was singing in her act when they oh. first met now that's precious it is and i was like how does that little code spell out believe well apparently when they would say certain words it would mean different letters and so the code was actually answer b tell e pray answer l like so they actually corresponded into letters and it does spell out believe
0: interesting yes
1: so i understand it now each year after harry's death Bess would hold a séance on Halloween night, mm. the night he passed, and the final one was held on Halloween night of 1936, and it was on the Knickerbocker Hotel roof, and it was an event. I found out they recorded it. Wow. They they kind of followed a script. It was like a big. These are people who knew how to do a show. Yeah, she actually like they did kind of. She a show from of him. This. Yes, 100. Mm-hmm. percent And they, she's
0: also now motivated to really disprove it. You know, yes. Yeah. the spirit. If she's also also with him like disproving spiritualism Mm -hmm. and it's been nine years and she hasn't heard from him she's like year 10 we're gonna play it up and we're gonna this is the final quote no pun intended nail in the coffin of spiritualists right he did not
1: make the appearance of Mm -hmm. course and so Bess announced quote Houdini did not come through my last hope is gone I do not believe that Houdini can come back to me or to anyone Mm -hmm. it is now my personal and positive belief that spirit communication in any form is impossible i do not believe that ghosts or spirits exist the houdini shrine has burned for 10 years i now reverently turn out the light it is finished good night harry wow so she made that statement and then that years later she was interviewed asked about this you know yearly seance and the and the the final one and she said she did not regret stopping after 10 years and she made her famous comment 10 years is long enough to wait for any man oh Yeah. Beautiful. But she turned it over. She turned it over to their friend and a Houdini biographer, a writer named Walter B. Gibson, and he picked up that seance tradition. And so it has continued over the years.
0: I didn't know that. You didn't know
1: it's still going no on way. today, Ashley. People will do it on their own, kind of as like a little fun thing, uh-huh. like oh, it's Halloween night, we'll try. It. But there is an official. It's like a tribute now. Walter Gibson. Over time, it kind of left him. Mm-hmm. It's now run by a group called the Inner Circle. It's a group of Houdini enthusiasts and collectors. And there is an official seance held every year. They rotate. They go to different cities around the globe would you like to know where it's going to be this year charleston south carolina what yes Yes. Tommy, do check in tell us how it goes <laughs> i know so they are having it you guys are hearing this on halloween night so if any of you are attending let us know tommy whoever it may be yeah. but the 97th because we are only three years away from the 100th wow. anniversary. That's true. 2026. The 97th annual official Houdini seance is held in Charleston, South Carolina. And I looked it up just in case anybody wanted to go. Assuming there would be any tickets still available. I doubt it. About $90 plus taxes and fees. Wow. But you could be part of that event. Wow. So there you go. Fascinating that is story fascinating. of Houdini. Armchair psychologist. So, Ashley, for our armchair, I guess I'll just ask, what are your thoughts about what caused Harry's death?
0: Well... I mean, you know, I'm always going to lean into a I conspiracy. <laughs> I mean, there's just, is there even a thought? But let's take, let's look at it rationally. So as I've already said, as someone who experienced both a burst appendix and a gangrene p- appendix and the amount of pain mm. that he had to have been in, and I don't remember, I don't think that I was injured in my stomach at all. I just, that part, I really discount. Mm-hmm. Personally, my own personal mm-hmm. opinion, I don't think this person punching him in the stomach, even if it was really hard, I've just never heard of that. And as the- And the medical journals
1: don't support it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. say
0: that just seems, ridiculous. Right. It seems almost like a perfect distraction, though. If if he was to be killed or to try to be assassinated, that's a really great cover story. It just really is. As a person who, you know, it almost fits with him. It's the the showman got killed by trickery, too. But I think he really died from appendicitis. It sounds like. But how did that appendicitis happen to him? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't really know. It would be more of an interesting story. I think even he would approve of a more interesting <laughs> story if he was assassinated, if it was some kind of Conspiracy to take him out, but like you said, he was making a lot of enemies. He was making a lot of enemies, a lot of them.
1: You know, that's so funny. You tend to lean into them, I, I do. tend to lean away. I know, yeah. I, I have a hard time thinking how logically it could have played out because if we believe he died from a ruptured appendix. Mm-hmm. And if we both believe, which I think we agree, that we don't think the blows to the stomach could have caused it, then it would be awfully fortuitous mm-hmm. to have figured out this guy has a rupture. You know, he's on the edge of an appendix mm-hmm. just a time. you know, the well, time, unless, you know. Well, unless
0: there's some way that you can, like, poison somebody and it causes that. For me, it was getting strep. Strep mm-hmm. caused it. Yeah. So it, my appendix didn't just spontaneously rupture, although I'm sure that possibly happens. It was something that went into mm-hmm. that, even though it was on antibiotics. So mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. And I think he would also probably really, enjoy the fact that it's still a mystery I think he would an unsolvable mystery
1: I think he would too I guess that is an interesting question could poison
0: cause cause
1: poison in conjunction with knowing this is somebody who probably is often holding his breath for extended periods of times or contorting his body in certain Mm -hmm. ways you know would that combination of circumstances
0: maybe it wasn't even that they were aiming to burst his appendix it was just how that's how it affected him we don't know we don't know what the uh, intended maybe it just was supposed to kill him outright and this I don't know
1: I tend to believe that it was just, you know, terribly bad timing of everything for Harry, but I do believe he would love mm-hmm. the mystery of it mm-hmm. and people still speculating. Still talking about yes, it. That's what he wants. About he still wants to be time. in the
0: conversation, and you are, Harry. You yeah. are.
1: So here we go. On Halloween, mm-hmm. the 97th anniversary of your passing, a big cheers to Harry Houdini. Cheers to you. Cheers. If you love what we do, please rate and review our show. Or you can become a supporter by making a donation through buymeacoffee.com slash scandalwaterpod. Whether a single gift or a recurring monthly donation, it would go a long way towards supporting our work and allowing us to keep the tea brewing.
0: At our website, www.scandalwaterpodcast.com, you can submit questions or your own story ideas, access our sources and show notes, see the merch we offer for sale, and more. You can join Join the Scandalwater community through our Scandalwater Podcast Facebook page or follow us on Instagram or TikTok at Scandalwater Podcast.
1: This episode was executive produced by Candy Thomas, that's me, and Ashley Raymer Brown. That's me. It was researched
0: and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. A special thank you to Josh Martin, who wrote, composed, and performed the Scandalwater theme and other music. Matt C. Adams, who created the artwork, and Joshua Reith, who designed our website and provides ongoing technical support.
1: As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the host during each episode of Scandal Water are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests, advertisers, or clearly professional psychologists. Thanks for listening.